0: And I was tempted to maybe skip portions of it, and I thought, you know what? The Scriptures say don't neglect the reading of Scripture, and so we won't. We're going to read a lot of it today. 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting at verse 1. We're going to read to the end of chapter 26. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young man, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shears; that your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in carmel ask your young men and they will tell you therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son david when david's young men came they said to said all this to nabal in the name of david and then they waited And Nabal answered David's servants, "'Who is David? "'Who is the son of Jesse? "'There are many servants these days "'who are breaking away from their masters. "'Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat "'that I have killed for my shears "'and give it to men who come from I do not know where?' So David's young men turned away and came back and told them all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with all baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all this house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on a donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as an able. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battle of the Lord. And evil an evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you. You have kept me this day from g- blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning, there there had not, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. And in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife took him these, told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galam. Still tracking with me? One more chapter to go. Let's keep going. Chapter 26, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakala, which is on the east of Jeshimon?" So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hachilah which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon, but David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying lying within the encampment, while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother, Abishah, the son of Zariah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishah went to the army by night, and there lay Saul, sleeping within the encampment, with a spear stuck in the ground at his head, And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishah said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishah, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill and with a great space between them and David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner saying will you not answer Abner then Abner answered who are you who calls to the king and David said are you not a man who is like you who is like you in Israel why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king for one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord this thing that you have done is not good as the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? But David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Who, Why does my lord pursue after a servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day, that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Stay with me, we're almost done. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned, return because my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is a spear, O king. Let one of you young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of, this, out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son David, you will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Lord Jesus, please, would you use your servant to speak your word? Instruct us this morning. It's your name we pray, amen. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? I promise I won't do that all the time. David Powelson, he's a theologian, he's also a biblical counselor, wrote these words. What are the ways humanity gets identity wrong? Perhaps you construct a self by the roles and accomplishments listed on your resume. You might identify yourself by your lineage or your ethnicity by your job history or the schools you attended, by your marital status or your parental role. Perhaps you define who you are by your political leanings or the objects of your sexual longings. Maybe you consider yourself to be summed up in a Myers-Briggs category or a psychiatric diagnosis. Your sense of self might be based on money or lack thereof, or on achievements or failures, on the approval of others, or their rejection, or on your self-esteem or your self-hatred. Perhaps you think that your sins define you. You're an angry person, an addict, and an anxious people-pleaser. Perhaps afflictions define you. Disability, cancer, divorce. Even your Christian identity might be anchored in something that is not God, such as your Bible knowledge or your giftedness or the church denomination to which you belong. And I I believe our text today speaks to what our identity ought to be. I, I say that, let's begin by just taking a peek at 1 Samuel 25, verse 25, where Abigail says to David, let not my Lord, regardless worthless fellow Nabal, For as his name is, so is he. The word Nabal meant fool. How would you like a name like that? Now, I don't think mom and dad named him fool, but it probably became his nickname, and he was no one by that name. So in order to understand who I am or who we are as individuals, I want us to consider four individuals from our passage, or our passages, you could say. The first one is Nabal. Let's take a look at this guy. Uh, Brueggemann, in his, uh, his work on, on 1 Samuel, said something fascinating, and I think he's right. When the author unpacks this text, he doesn't say, oh, there's a man named Nabal. He first describes this man, which is usually not the way it's done because the name is really important in that culture. But he begins and he simply says, he had business. He was, there was a man in Mayon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and three and 1,000 1, goats. That, that was like money in the bank. So animals was your currency in your pocket or in your bank account. And then he mentions a name. So he was known by his wealth. He was known by his riches. I, I'm thinking of Luke chapter 16 where Jesus tells a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was the one who had a name. The rich man doesn't have a name because from God's perspective, that's what he was known for. He was the rich man. That was his identity. That's who he is. And Nabal's very similar. And it's, it's quite fascinating that this this Nabal, when David approaches and David's man approach him and asks, would you be willing to be hospitable to us as we have been to you, which was important in that culture, he said, well, why would I share my, 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 my? Did you get that? Everything was His. And I don't even know you. And he, and he and he looks upon him as who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? He sounds like Saul. And when Abigail comes home, she finds that he's been feasting like a king. He's been he's been uh, feasting on the stuff the, on his riches. And in that context, what does he do? He dies. In Luke chapter twelve. We read these words. Jesus said these words. He said in chapter 12, verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I, w- I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lacks up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus tells that parable and And I think that parable describes Nabal, and I think it describes many in our culture who identify themselves by the car they drive, the house they live in, the money that's in the bank, etc. That was Nabal. But let's also consider David. I think in chapter 25, David falls short again. Remember chapter 21, a few weeks back, where David's acting like a madman, where David has to lie to get his way, where David literally is looking for a spear and a sword to defend himself, which is striking because when he stood before Goliath, he didn't need a spear and a sword. In this passage, what is this David getting angry? Strap on your swords. And, And then he later says in the text, that by morning there will not be one man of all Nabal's servants that will be left standing. David is beginning to sound like King Saul. Now You might might be going, hold it. We've been seeing a whole lot of killing going on in 1 Samuel. So why would this be any different? You need to understand that much of the killing that's going on in 1 Samuel is the king and his army or his police force is standing up to the enemy called the Philistines who have invaded the land. And so the king, as a rightful judge by God, has the right to protect and defend his citizens. In fact, he's commanded to do that. Now there's also been killing by Saul where he wipes out the priests. That was wrong. He's killing his own people who are innocent. And what David is about to do here is definitely wrong. We're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, And and, and Paul is actually just quoting the Old Testament, a passage that David would have known. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's interesting, in chapter 24, David is so quick to not avenge King Saul, and in chapter 26, he's so quick not to avenge King Saul... And in chapter 25, he's ready to put on the sword in a, in a burst of anger. But then, what about this marriage? I thought David was married. Wasn't he married to, to Michael, Saul's daughter? Why doesn't the narrator say this is wrong? maybe it wasn't maybe that's why he does she does he or she the, the writer doesn't say anything there and the writer doesn't have to say anything there because if you go back to creation what does god say husband and wife the two shall become one flesh it's not husband and many wives becoming one flesh god had already set in order what the creation what what it should look like and and then just in case we messed up and misunderstood deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 17 speaking to the potential kings down the road and he the king shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away David is pursuing his passions he pursues in anger and then he pursues his sexual passions we're going to find later that that gets him in trouble. Notice that he also takes her. That's exactly what Samuel says a king will do. So we go look. We look at David, and we go. He's the promised king. He's a man after God's own heart, and yet there's already cracks in his character. So we've looked at Nabal. He's identified by his riches. We've seen David. Um, a man of passion and sometimes wrong passions now let's consider Saul from chapter 26 remember the last time we saw Saul in chapter 24 last week he is weeping because David was such a righteous person and it spared him his life and and he promised David you know what you're going to be king and he goes his way and David goes his way and guess what the Ziphites turn David in again and Saul is pursuing him again The man has not repented. Sometimes tears are the product of repentance. Sometimes tears are they just got caught. In First Samuel chapter twenty six we we see the word spear. It's it's mentioned some six times, which is interesting. Throughout First Samuel, the word spear is important. Remember David; he's confronting Goliath. Well, actually, go be back before that. Remember that all of Israel, except for Saul and Jonathan, had a spear, but Israel didn't. And then, when David confronts Goliath, and he and he says, in um, where is that? First Samuel chapter seventeen, I believe. Quoted a couple times, verse uh, forty-seven, I think. Yes. No. Yep. Verse 46. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines to stay to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. So David this this idea of spear, and then then we constantly see the spear in Saul. He's clutching the spear under the tamarick tree. He's clutching the spear in his palace. He's using the spear to kill David. And and so this this spear is a symbol of his power and his might and his kingship. It's as if Saul trusts in the spear more than he trusts in his lord. But Saul loves his power more than he loves the Lord. And what's striking is that that spear could have been used to put him to death, and it doesn't save him. And in fact, what does what does Saul say when he's speaking to David in verse 21? I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. He sounds like Nabal. And so we have we have three individuals. Nabal is driven by his money, and David by his passions, and Saul by his power. Nabal trusts in his money and dies. No one is a fool. Saul trusts in his power, and he will die. No one is a fool. But what about David? What about David? I said I wanted to look at four different individuals. Who's the fourth individual in our text? Who? Abigail! Abigail! And I'm going to skip her. Not really. But I'm going to to look at God through the words and life of Abigail. Because I think the hero of this text is God himself. And we see him through the words and the very life of Abigail. Take a look at some of the things that she says. What God has done. Chapter twenty five, verse twenty-six. This is the meat of our sermon. So bear with me, hang in with me. Verse twenty-six. Abigail says to David, Now then my Lord as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Did you see that? Abigail says to you to David, It wasn't me that spared you from killing all these people and being guilty of their blood. It was God who did that. God was gracious. Even though your anger consumed you, God graciously intervened and restrained you. That's God's grace. And Abigail wants him to see God's grace. And then in verse 28, Abigail continuing to speak. Look what she says. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battle of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And I think she's reminding him of how God had, used, had spared David in, in, in confronting Goliath by just simply using a sling. And that God would bring judgment upon His enemies. It says, God's grace has restrained you, David. God will judge your enemies, David. And, and then in verse 30, she says, and God will deliver on His promises, David. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, verse 30, according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel did you hear that when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you David you remember those promises God has made with you he's going to keep them David finally we're going to skip Abigail and we're going to look ahead to verse 12 David actually sees the hand of God in verse 12 because there, as he and Abishai were marching through the camp, through the army, and actually having a conversation with each other. What happens? The army doesn't awake. And why? Because a deep sleep from the Lord has fallen upon them. God protects His own. God's hand is written all over chapter 25 and chapter 26. So in light of that, let's reconsider David. Notice, after Abigail wisely speaks to David, David speaks in verse 34, For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Earlier, he says in verse 32, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. What's David doing there? Here's the promised king who's got all kinds of cracks in his character. And this promised king is confronted with God by this servant Abigail. And what happens? David goes. I am broken, and I and I've just been shown grace by God, and He admits it. Blessed be the Lord. You see, David is not defined by his sin. He he begins to recognize that he's a, a man indeed of God's grace. In chapter twenty six, he's speaking to Saul, and he does this in chapter twenty-four. He says, You've come out to seek a single flea. I think David begins to recognize and continually recognizes who he really is in light of who God is. He's just a flea. He's really he's really a nobody. He understands that. In chapter twenty six, verse twenty four, he commits his care to this God. It's interesting. He says to Saul, behold, as your life is precious this day in my sight. You know, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I saw your life is precious. What does he say? So may my life be precious in your sight. That's not what he says. He says, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may He deliver me out of all tribulation. It's at that point, he says, "May, may God deliver me, because I can't. I'm just a shepherd boy. All I've got is a sling and, and a couple of rocks and, and I can't defeat this king and I can't defeat my enemies. You see how David begins to identify himself? He doesn't see himself simply as a, a broken sinner. I mean, nor does he see himself as the promised king. He, he sees himself in light of who God is. In need of God's grace, a single flea, and he commits his care and his protection to this almighty God. But finally, I want you to notice David's greatest passion. He doesn't say, Saul, you know, if you're really sorry, Saul, uh, would you let me go back to Bethlehem and take care of my dad's flocks? He doesn't say, Saul, if you're really sorry, would you, would you allow me to go back to the palace and play the harp for you? I, I kind of enjoyed that. The food was good. He, he doesn't say, Saul, if you're really serious, can I have my wife Michael back? Can I go home? He doesn't say that. He says something even stronger. He says it twice. Don't miss this. Here's the promised king cracks all over his character. And yet, he says in verse 19, they, these people who have caused Saul to act in this way, have driven me out this day that I should... Have no share in the heritage of the Lord. Saying, go serve other gods. And then in verse 20 he says, Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. David saying, don't send me out of Israel. Don't send me away from the people of God. Don't send me away from the presence of God. That was David's passion. Isn't that what we read in Psalm Twenty-seven last week verse 4 one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple see David although he was broken and sinful just like Nabal and Saul That's important to remember. David admits his guilt, is humbled by God's grace, places his trust in God, and longs to be in God's presence. And as a result, he is known not as a fool, but as a man after God's own heart. The question is, how about you? Who are you? What defines you? What do you trust in? What is your greatest love? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Abigail, for boldly, courageously, wisely confronting David with you and who you are. Thank you, Father, how you showed grace to David and to so many others. Father, I pray that we may follow the example of David as we have the great privilege to gaze at what Jesus Christ has done for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you loved us first, most, and best. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We conclude our service like we do each week, gathered around the table. And in a lot of ways, I think this is like us being confronted by Abigail. We're just stopping and remembering what Christ has done, who Christ is, how great His love for us is, how broken we are, and how desperately desperately we need His grace. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, I encourage you to come and gather with us around the table. I will serve you we do that together in groups, so bring somebody with you. And we'll just stop and remember what Christ has done for us and how He showered His grace upon us who are broken and who are needing a Savior. And as we do this, challenge you, as you look ahead to your week, entrust yourself to Him. He will care for you.